High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, cheerleaders, quarterbacks, goth girls, token black guys, and a special shout-out to the babysitter. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. The pool party, that is, because we're still in the summer, baby. But unfortunately, you're not invited to the pool party because it is a babysitting Monday. But I'm going to give you a little treat today. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Today will be your last babysitting Monday, at least of the season. You know, I thought we could drag this out all summer and part of me wanted to, but you've done such a good job. You've been amazing. Class participation is up. Remember, that's a huge part of your grade, and you can participate on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, our social media. But things are going so well, right? Like, I think I want to give you the rest of the summer just to party with me in my pool, watch some great movies. Junior year is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's a big year, and I want to prep you for that. Again, I have my reasons. I go into it a little bit in this episode. By the way, today we're talking The Babysitter a Netflix film from 2017. There's a lot of films called The Babysitter out there in the ether, but the one we're talking about is from 2017, and it is a Netflix film, as I said. And our guest is none other than the godfather himself, Joey Lewandowski. Woo! So happy to have him on. He was on our first Babysitting Monday. He'll be on our final Babysitting Monday. Perfect synergy right there. Just want to make sure, though, that you listened last Friday to our episode and did your homework. Whoa, whoa, whoa. it's the summer. I don't assign you homework. They're just polite suggestions. So I just hope you listened to last Friday's episode. It was another fun one. I enjoyed it. Shawnee Mead was here. We talked another Netflix film, The Kissing Booth 2, the sequel. A lot of history between me and Shawnee with The Kissing Booth. Glad we were able to talk that. Definitely check it out. 
wherever you get your podcasts. Cageclub.me, of course, is the home. It's the flagship. That's where you're going to find our archive. But you could also listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Wherever you're listening now, really. And wherever you are listening now, make sure you've hit that subscribe button. I can't tell you how important this is to an independent podcast like me. Remember, you're getting this for zero dollars and zero cents. Like I said the other day, I'm not Michelle Obama. I'm not Conan O'Brien. I wasn't famous before I had a podcast. I'm not famous now. I'm likely never going to be famous. And that's okay with me. I'm totally fine with it. I do this for the love of high school movies, for the love of the slumberers, for the love of podcasting, and to keep my brain occupied, frankly. So the one thing you can do to help me keep this low price of $0.00 is by hitting that subscribe button or giving us, or more like an and or, and or giving us a five-star rating, writing us a positive review, and of course, telling a friend about all the great things we do here on High School Slumber Party. So let's see, what else do we have to discuss? Oh, some other things, some other important things. I mentioned last Friday, but just mention it again, I guest starred on two podcasts last week on the Cage Club Podcast Network. I was on Third Time's a Charm for the movie Day of the Dead, and I was on Too Fast, Too Forever for Dude, where's my car? Check both those out, please. But let's get to the babysitter. Let me get to my pool party. I got on my Speedo. I'm ready to take a dip. You guys got to ship off to your last babysitting assignment. Make it count. Earn that money. Earn your keep. Earn that money for college so we can party the rest of the summer. And it's going to be cool. So what am I drinking at the pool today? Let's see. Bartender, what do you have for me? He's appearing. Ooh, this looks fun. This looks pretty. What could it be? A jungle bird. I don't think I've had one of these before. Sounds interesting. Well, you know what that means. Pack your babysitting stuff. Tell your mother you're on assignment today. Because I'm about to get my pool party on. See you on the other side. And I'll leave you with Queen's we are the champions. Time after time, I've done my sentence, but committed no crime, and bad mistakes. I've made a few. I've had my share. Joey, you were here for the beginning of Babysitting Mondays, 
And now you're here for the closing of Babysitting Mondays, the ending of Babysitting Mondays, at least for now. Truly what an honor. I'm surprised that you're ending early. Like when you said this was going to be the final one coming in essentially early August or mid-August maybe, but I was like, oh, you know, I guess we're, we're ramping up for the new school year for our junior years a little bit earlier. Yeah, I mean, could I have gone all summer with babysitting films? Sure, to be honest with you. When I looked at the quality of them, not worth it. <laughs> I get you, you know? I get you. Yeah, so with cheerleading... There were some very good movies, some very bad movies, and kind of everything in between, you know? For babysitting movies, there's a lot of, like, B movies, a lot of, not just bad movies, because some B movies I like, as you know, but it just wasn't worth dragging out the whole summer when we have so many other great things to get to. And you're right, we got to gear up for our junior year. It's a big one. Can't wait. Going to take the uh, the SATs this year. Going to know what uh, college we're going to get into. You know, it's going to be very exciting. Oh, that actually reminds me. I want to do, what's the name? Uh, Bad Genius. I want to do with you in like March or April, which is the Korean, I think. Maybe not Korean. I'll find out. But it's uh, a wonderful, it's a really, really good SAT movie. A foreign. Or not SAT, but you know the equivalent of SATs. Yes, yes. Whatever it it might be. But uh, I mean, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, look, college might be for you. Oh, it's from Thailand. Okay. Thailand. 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 Cool. College. We'll see. There's a rumor out there, as Mike Manzi of Third Times of Charm likes to say, that I might have to keep some of you to be super seniors. Who knows? Oh, no. If If I can get rid of all the high school movies before the end of our senior year, sure. But we'll see. We'll see. (laughs) anyway joey great having you on beginning and end we started with adventures of babysitting right yeah yeah with the with the kate hudson yes i got confused because also did another keith coogan babysitting movie with kate hudson oh boy (laughs) don't tell mom the babysitter's dead yeah 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 which i was thinking you know we had christina applegate in that and then you were talking about i think it was on the society episode I want to say maybe Mike or Galen, one of them recommended Meet the Applegates, and I was like, that was is, Mike. is Christina in that? I was like, is that <laughs> one so of the same? Weird. So weird how those like connections just happen, but that's when you know you spent too many hours editing when you're starting to like, connect the dots like Charlie Day style, but I did notice that. <laughs> but, Joey, we don't want to forget the High School Slumber Party introduction, because I was ready to move on. Joey Lewandowski, 100 Central Regional High School Class of 2006, Go Red Devils, which feels oddly appropriate for this movie. It does, it does. Do you think that's a name that'll ever go away? Do you think that's controversial at all? No. Um, I mean, in certain times, in certain times, right? I don't think so. So a couple weeks ago, the Seattle Kraken just announced their team name for the NHL, the NHL's 32nd team. And The Athletic, which is a great sports website, ranked all 77 or something. There's been like 77 names of hockey teams in history. You know, like original teams, teams that have folded, teams that have moved, teams that have been renamed, whatever. And in the top 15 or so were the Devils. And they talked about how like, oh, basically the train of thought was, oh, that's a badass name. Oh, it can't be that. And then you find out, or, oh, it's based on mythology, which sounds kind of dumb. And then you find out what the actual Jersey Devil is about. You're like, oh, that's actually really weird and cool. So <laughs> after all that. And also, you know, I'm rewatching the X-Files. There's an, a very, very, very early, like first five, I think, episodes of the X-Files is uh, the Jersey Devil. So, yeah. Like, yeah, it's, very popular it's, episode, it's though. Yeah. People have talked about that one. I think it's one of the early ones. People are like, oh, this show is actually, you know, something that I should watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, there's a lot of conversation now with the Washington football team and such, and a lot of uh, teams changing their name, and high school teams even. Some high schools uh, around where I grew up and some high schools that are 
the high schools of guests we've had are changing their team names. But unless there's like a huge, huge wave of like religion in this country, like we just go back to being like Puritans, I think the Red Devils is here to stay. Yeah, I think so too. And like you said, very topical today. Yeah. The film today is The Babysitter. And now there's a lot of films called The Babysitter, but this is the 2017 Netflix film, The Babysitter. And you were very eager to be on this episode when I announced that I was doing The Babysitting series. Tell me more. How did you first see this movie, and why were you so eager to talk about it? So I really, really love this movie. This was a movie that Chris Podcast, past guest of your show, fellow Cage Club Podcast Network host, watched and hated and was like, hey, I just watched this movie and I hated it, but I think you're <laughs> going to love it. And I was like, okay. And so I watched it and I was like, oh yeah, no, I love this. Because like, there's a real, as I'm sure you've probably seen online, there's a real polarizing view of this movie. Either like you're all in on this movie or I can see you being like, I hate everything about this movie. And I loved it. I think I will admit that like, if you're like, oh, no, it's dumb and I just don't like it. Yeah, sure, I get it, sure. But I think that the hyper-stylization of it all, I just think it's wonderful. I just love it. Yeah, so I saw this very early on in its Netflix run. When I got my 4K TV, it was like right around this time, I think. And so this was this might have been the first 4K movie that I watched. And I was like, oh, it's a great-looking movie. Yeah, it is a very pretty movie. Off the bat, I'll say I enjoyed it. It did make me think about just what this movie is. I was reading a lot of the criticism and... A lot of it was like, oh, we've seen this before. We've seen things like this before. I'm not, again, I'm getting there, but I'm not literate enough in horror, though I have seen Society. So I get a gold star for that, I think. But uh, I'm not literate enough to be like, oh, this is a copy of things or anything like that. But I did read that in a lot of places, which I don't really understand. Because to me, if you do something good and it's enjoyable, like, so what if it's a little bit unoriginal? Like, it's like having a good steak, right? Like, if I'm going to eat a steak... I'm not, like, looking for my mind to be blown, necessarily. Maybe this is more of a conversation for the foodie films man. But, you know, I'm looking for what I believe a steak is like. Wow, we're, we're treading into Matrix territory now. No, I know, but I think, like, you know, you're 140 <laughs> episodes into your podcast, and essentially, to a certain degree, you've watched the same movie 140 times, right? Like, there's, there's a certain type of movie that is a high school movie, and then within that, you have babysitting movies and cheerleading movies and coming-of-age stories and, like, all these different ways you can break things down, but then each of those is kind of the same, too, right? And so there's a great mini-series. I don't even call it mini-series. There's, like, a video, like, a web series, a video web series called Everything is a Remix. And it basically, and we've talked about this on Too Fast, Too Forever before, but basically it shows that, like, no stories are original anymore. That, like, we've basically told all the stories you can. Now what you do is you just take things and combine them in different ways and put spins and variations on things and I think it's how you tell the story. It's how you tell a story. Not the story you're telling, but like how you do it, the pieces you pick, the actors you cast, you know, the jokes you make, the stylings you do as a director, as a whatever, that really add up to be something more. So like Satanic Babysitter, yeah, like I'm sure that there's a bunch of movies like this. Satanic Cult, like what? Yeah, sure, of course. But I think it's the way that it all combines in a way that is like right up my alley again, hyper stylized and it's like self-aware and also like leans into it. And it's like a very weird, wonderful pastiche, I think. And I think it works really well. But again, if you think that this is unoriginal and whatever, I can also see, yeah, okay, I get it. Maybe I should title my book like One High School, A Thousand Faces, because I think you're <laughs> right. No, because it's true. Like I am seeing the same stories, but I'm not hating that, you know? I'm not sick of it at all because there's so many genres, so many different ways to tell these stories. And obviously at this point, I'm all in. I would hope so. So 
Was that the criticism, though, that you had been hearing or seeing a lot, that it was too cliche? Or why did Chris Podcast hate the film? He hated it because he hates everything. Like That's just what he <laughs> is and who he is and what he does. I think people probably just think it's dumb. I think people, wrongly so, maybe rightly so, I don't know, see that it's a McGee-directed movie, and they're like, oh, I have no interest in this. And I think the Bella Thorne nature of it all, like, this is the second Bella Thorne movie I'm bringing to you, or not I'm bringing to you, but like we're covering here, right? So mm-hmm. you're welcome for that. <laughs> but I think that there's a lot in here that people could get turned off to, and I think it's definitely the kind of movie that if you go into it thinking you're going to hate it, I think you will. But I was like, oh, no, I'm probably going to like this. And I did. So I'm wondering what you thought of this as sort of not a horror novice anymore. You're a horror intermediate. You are now more of a baby babysitting expert than I am. How did you like this movie? Did you enjoy this movie? Oh, yeah. No, I enjoyed this movie for sure. I, I got a real kick out of it. I think it talked about a lot of fun things that, again, I've seen in other films. I appreciated the, like, paying homage to that kind of stuff. And it, it's a sexy looking movie. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, it is a... Beautiful is like a weird thing to say. It's not like big sweeping landscapes, not like that, but it's a very pretty movie. I had been wanting to see this film for a while. Again, I wasn't into horror, so I was was like, you know, maybe it's not going to be for me, but I remember when this came out on Netflix and just seeing that poster, which is a great, well, I don't know. Do you call it a poster if it's on Netflix? You know what I mean? The background image? I don't know, but... I love it, and I'm like, ooh, this is something that's cool. And honestly, the movie did not disappoint. You know, I can't wait to get into all the reasons why I enjoyed it. But I get it. If it's not your thing, it's not your thing. That's fine, but you know me. You've heard this podcast the last, what, couple months. I'm sick of the haters. I'm just trying to have fun. I've become an easy grader, throwing out those A's like candy. Haters back off. (laughs) Speaking of Netflix. (laughs) Very true. Yeah, but no, the poster is great. Like, okay, so I think what we need to, and it feels about that time where you start going through the cast, like, what I want to point out here is that this began, what I can only imagine is going to become a lifelong love affair between me and Samara Weaving, unrequited, to be sure, but she is, (laughs) not only is she beautiful and a great actor, what I love most about her is that she seems, like, wildly content and interested in exclusively doing weird movies. Like, she's in this, she's in that that new movie Guns Akimbo, she was in Mayhem, she's in another one of my personal favorite movies of the last few years, Ready or Not, she's going to be in the new Bill and Ted movie, she's in the Picnic at Hanging Rock series reboot thing, that there was a movie in the 70s, they made a TV series out of it, like, she seems very, very interested in doing genre movies, and I feel like when you have an actor who is as good as she is, and I think that she is really Really talented and you know the niece of Hugo Weaving Agent Smith in the Matrix like mm-hmm. she's got the pedigree she's got the history she's got the chops she could do a lot of different things I think she maybe broke in as the girlfriend of I don't remember exactly the movie because I kind of blocked it out but like in three billboards she plays the dad somebody like somebody's new girlfriend maybe Francis McDormand's ex-husband's new girlfriend or whatever and like she's great in that but then she's like really kind of hovered in this horror genre world, and I adore that about her, that, like, this seems to be, like, what she's genuinely into, and maybe she's typecast, but it feels like she's leaning in and, like, doing not always movies that I love, but just, like, movies that are cool and weird and different, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, well, she looks like she's having fun here, that's for sure. This is a very pretty cast, like, starting with her, right? Oh, and they comment on it. Yeah, which, and I think it's purposeful, and I think it's awesome, but she has a look that I really love, and it's backed up by, like, again, I haven't seen her in too many things, a couple of things you mentioned, yeah, but she always seems, again, like she's having fun. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I definitely want to see her in more things, but not 
to the level where she's not doing projects, she's not having fun. If it's what you say, she only does what she wants to do, then I'm very happy about that. It's what it seems like. Whether or not that's actually the case, I don't know, because, I mean, who knows how things actually operate in Hollywood, right? Like, she's not in a ton of things. She's not everywhere, but she's, you know, looking at what's coming up. She's going to be in Bill and Ted. She's going to be in the new G.I. Joe movie, Snake Eyes. She was in just in that new thing, that new series on Netflix, Hollywood. Like, it feels like she's got a specific type of movie she was in a movie called last moment of clarity which i haven't seen and i've not heard good things about but feels like firmly up joe 2's alley like it feels like it's definitely of a kind like she's not going to be i think also and this is not meant to condemn these kind of movies because i really like them as well but like she's kind of got the look that you you could sort of sub her in like to any british period piece right like you could you could see her kind of in like any of those like 1800s like (laughs) jane austen style whatever like i think she's got the look to do that but it seems like no i want to be in a movie where i have like face tattoos and daniel radcliffe has like guns drilled into his hands and like he's just got to figure out like (laughs) she's got a different approach to the kind of movies that she winds up in and i just i love that and i want to talk about her a little bit more later because i think she so effectively draws you in here if you had no idea what this movie was about but before any of that don't want to skip this i always read back at the dvd back at vhs lucky for us it is a netflix film netflix doesn't care about those kind of things here's the one sentence underwhelming (laughs) description here we go yes (laughs) here's the netflix description When Cole stays up past his bedtime, he discovers that his hot babysitter is part of a satanic cult that will stop at nothing to keep him quiet. Yeah, cool. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, Netflix. So it's pronounced Mick G. Yes. Oh, I, I always thought it was MCG, like a, like a DJ. <laughs> no, I think it's Mick G. I think that's what I think. I'm, I'm I'm almost positive. I mean, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. So I, I know this dude from back in the day from doing the Charlie's Angels films. Yep. Like, what else is he really known for? Um, I think he did a Terminator movie. Yeah, I'm looking now. He did like a oh god, who was in this movie? He did a Kevin Costner movie called Three Days to Kill with our girl from. Edge of Seventeen, Haley Steinfeld. Oh, cool. I think he's probably best known for being a music video director and Charlie's the Charlie's Angels guy. But oh, I think yes, he I forgot about that. Kind of like not went away, but hasn't really done a ton movie wise. He did that Reese Witherspoon movie with Tom Hardy. I was looking at this last night with Tom Hardy and Chris Pine. This means war, where they're like vying. It's oh like yeah, 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 vying yeah. for her affection or whatever. Like it feels like he doesn't really. Actually, you know what? It probably is. It's not always consistent, but it's kind of like. Let me do a, like an action or an action adjacent movie where like like an attractive lady is kicking ass. That seems to be like kind of his thing, which I respect. Hey, it's a thing, yeah. And I'm trying to remember why this guy like some people didn't like him, and I think it was the original music video connection. But whatever, like I don't care who he is. Like that's not going to make me hate a film. I think he did a great job here. I I really again enjoyed the way this film looked and. A lot of that has to go to the director, right? Yeah, I think it's, again, like, with him, and I don't know if this is actually true or just the the comparison that I've made in my brain, I think people get mad at him for the same reason they get mad at Michael Bay, like, the crass commercialism of it all. But I think Mm. that, like, in a movie like this, which relies so heavily on those kind of aesthetics, but, like, embraces it and is like, oh, no, we know that we're casting exclusively beautiful people. They make a joke, like, why is his shirt off? like, well, look at him. Like, why Why would like, like, if, if you look like that, like, you'd be shirtless all the time, too. Or, you know, they're talking about there's that line, this would go viral so hard. I mean, no one's done human sacrifice. They're like, people have always done human sacrifice. And she says, yeah, but not like in America with hot people. Like, it's it's the same kind of like lean into it where it's like, oh, that could be dumb as hell. But it's also like, oh, yeah, no, these are like just vapid idiots, but they're beautiful, vapid idiots. Like, I got the sense by the end. 
that they were all manipulated into like following in Samara Weaving's cult. Because like at the end, she's like, oh, I got to pack up and move somewhere else now. And it feels like she's done this thing going from place to place. And that even though she's maybe been in this town for a while and like gathered this crew, she's just going around and like just creating like this posse of like attractive people to do her bidding essentially right and like help her stay forever young i don't know yeah no and it's pretty awesome and in regard to like the posse she puts together i was reading that in the script they were very different everyone was pretty much flip-flopped with things like okay so here's the note on what people were originally so sonia was originally the cheerleader and allison was a journalist uh, from the school Max had dreadlocks. There was all these other, like, stupid things. But when they got closer to filming and, like, reformatting the script, they really wanted all the characters to kind of be not just high school tropes, but horror movie high school tropes. And they pretty much, like you're saying, made the decision to turn the knob to 11, you know, and just lean into who these people are. Like, again, Bella Thorne, she's in her cheerleading uniform, and which they even comment on a lot. Like, you're still wearing that kind of thing, you know? I love it. We've talked about this before, but I think there is a benefit to, like, the characterizations or the tropes or just the types of characters, you know, the archetypes that people put in movies. Like, The Breakfast Club maybe created a lot of those or popularized a lot of those but like we have literally the quarterback of the football team we have the hot cheerleader we have the the hot drama girl like whatever i don't know what her role is necessarily but the one who's from pitch perfect right hannah may lee like i think she's kind of like the drama Mm -hmm. one we've got the nerd and then she's supposed to be goth as well okay and then who's andrew bachelor is he just like this is just the horror. Is he like the token black guy or is he have like a different part to yeah. play? No, like that's supposed to, because so one of the things I was like, is this okay? Like that he's like saying these really token black phrases, but that was purposeful. That right. was also to highlight those characters in horror films. I don't know if you get away with that today and it's only been like three years since this movie came out, but I appreciated what it was, especially when I found out that it, he would just wasn't like a character written that way. Like that was done purposeful. Again, that this all goes back into the thing where, like, if you're not on board, this is all going to bother you. But if you are on board, it's like, oh, I see what this movie is doing. That maybe it doesn't happen today. But I think that they're making fun of everyone kind of in equal regards. And everyone gets, like, a violent, grisly, gruesome death, right? And, like, he might die first, which is a sad, shameful trope in these kind of movies. But, like, they're all going to die. Like, we know it by the end that it's going to be Samara Weaving and the kid, right? Like, that's all that's going to be. It's going to be Cole and B, and that's it. And everybody else is going to be gone. Mm-hmm. And so... I don't really want to overly defend it, but I also think that it's smart and self-aware enough, and it's not the best movie to ever do this, but I think it's smart and self-aware enough that it gets away with it, or you can give it a, you, you are allowed to give it a pass, or you're allowed to enjoy it, because it's not like wildly racist to be racist, it's like, oh no, we're kind of making fun of these things, but we're making fun of all of these things in a few different ways. Absolutely, I 100% agree with that. One note I wanted to mention before, just talking about you know more of the cast and such, was that this was actually filmed in 2015, but not released till 2017. So if you look at some of the actors, and you've seen them later, the lead dude and like the girl next door, I'll get into their names in a second, I promise, looked really young here, because I've seen him in things recently, and I'm like, oh my god, how long ago with this? But that's why. like, It was filmed five years ago, not like the release date of three years ago to be clear. And Netflix, um, originally it was going to have a theatrical release, but this is when Netflix, like, I think 2015 was Beast 
what was that movie that the, like the first Netflix movie, Beast of Something? I don't know. Uh, but that was 2015, and they got into like a whole buying spree of stuff before they were even producing their own films. This was something they purchased. They were super excited about, and they dropped it October 13th, Friday the 13th. 2017 and yeah like i said i I don't know if it got like the huge response they were expecting but i know a lot of people who love this film and uh, count me as one of them now after watching it i'm glad you mentioned the age the look of how young they were because i thought for a while that cole was a young high school and like b and everybody were like young college but i guess also now i'm remembering the line that like when she goes off to college or whatever she's going to give him the car so like i guess it's younger than that but then by the end when they're like, oh no, he's 12, I was like, oh. I would imagine for the the scope, the purview of this show, that like it feels like he's the high schooler and they're like the older kids, but it's kind of weird that he's like a middle schooler and they're the high schoolers. It still works for your podcast, but it's kind of not how I was picturing yeah, it no, to fit exactly. in your podcast. <laughs> and that was intentional too. Usually the high schoolers are the victims and the writer wanted the high schoolers to be the bad people on this one. So that's intentional as well. The group is a group of high schoolers. The cult, they're all high schoolers. And Cole is a middle schooler. But again, he's hes almost a high schooler. A couple years, right? right? So Cole is played by Judah Lewis. You know, he, I think he does a really good job. I've seen him in a couple other things. He was in the I movie that re- you and I talked about on this very podcast. Which one? What? Summer of 84. He's like one of the yes. stars of Summer okay. of 84. <laughs> okay, I was like, where have I seen this guy? All right. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay, cool. You mean Alex Schroeder before we went to go see Queen Elizabeth II in person. We sat down in your apartment back in the before days when we could do that. We talked about Summer of 84. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, so that's where he's from. You mentioned Hannah Mae Lee plays Sonia. But of course, I I didn't feel like we had to mention her, but now my OCD is kicking in. Obviously, Samara Weaving is B, right? Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) You You pretty much went through her entire IMDb, so I think we're good there. And then you mentioned Bella Thorne as well, who we've talked about here as well. She's been in a couple things we've talked about, actually. You know, it's weird. She's she's a big name, but she's never, like, the lead, if that makes sense, in things that I watch. She came from the world of Disney, I think, right? Yes, yes. And then kind of, like, went through that thing that... Like, if Spring Breakers came out three years ago instead of seven years ago or eight or whatever, like, I think she would have been in, like, she went so hard on the, like, Disney gone bad. Yeah, 100%. Assassination Nation's, what, right after this, maybe? Well, I'm I mean, it, it comes out in 2018, wise. but I guess it was filmed three years later, right? Because if this was filmed yeah. earlier, but yeah, it's in the in that ballpark. What else did you cover with her? Did you cover the Duff on this podcast? I don't remember. No, no, I'm going to cover the Duff. Let me see. I thought I covered her in something else. Because what's weird about thinking... the Duff is that she's in this with the quarterback from this movie. They're both in the Duff. Yes. Uh, Stephen Amwell, who... What superhero is he in, like? Oh, yeah, he's uh, he's on one of the CW shows, I think. I was looking him up, because, like, he looks like everyone. He just looks like, ev- like... He looks like everyone. Like, he looks like the leading handsome dude on, like, every MTV show that I don't watch. You know what I mean? Yeah, sorry. Robbie Amwell. I don't know why I call him... Oh, because that's his cousin, is Stephen Amwell. So Stephen Amwell is Arrow. Robbie Amwell is his cousin, who's also on those kind of shows. Okay, okay. He plays Firestorm on The Flash. Gotcha. I'm not dissing those shows. Like, I'm sure they're great shows. But not that I uh, watch those shows, but, like, I guess I just thought they were the... Maybe... I don't know if I thought they were the same person, but it's amazing that they're both in that world. <laughs> Yeah, he's been in a bunch of stuff too, uh, Robbie Amwell. But like you said, the Duff is like the main thing that I knew him from. But you know, there's hardcore fans of that like CW DC universe oh, yeah. thing. I think the Arrowverse, if you will. So 
Those kind of people love everyone in that universe. I'm not against it. I just don't watch it, you know. But, yeah, and he's the ripped quarterback. His, like you said, his shirt's off for most of the film. He really leans into that. <laughs> we have to mention some other people here because... Oh, like, you mean the coolest parents in, like, movie history, basically? <laughs> yes, yes. I love Ken Marino. And Ken Marino plays Cole's dad. What's your favorite Ken Marino part? Oh, boy. I mean, your podcasting co-host is now apparently best friends with him on Twitter because he tweeted about uh, Wet Hot American Summer. Like, he's great in Wet Hot. You know, actually, what I love, what I genuinely love, and I don't know if it's his part that I love, but there was a web series called Burning Love. Have you heard of Burning Love? No, I haven't. Oh, God. Okay. So Burning Love was a three-season web series that was a parody of The Bachelor. And so Ken Marino was The Bachelor in the first one. And so he was a firefighter. And so instead of, will you accept this rose, it was, will you accept this hose? And they have an entire <laughs> array of, like, just, you know, Bachelorette contestants and, like, there is basically every funny comedian in that scene, like in the alt comedy scene, is in this show, and it's wonderful. And the first season where he's The Bachelor, <laughs> the women that he you know interacts with are incredible. And then season two, June Diane Raphael plays basically The Bachelorette, and she's got a whole slew of like dudes that are vying for her attention. And then season three is basically Burning Love All-Stars, where they just team up to do like challenges and stuff. It is so, so funny. Like, I haven't seen it since it was on five or six years ago. Like, it was on some random thing that was on Yahoo Screen when Yahoo Screen was a thing, but, like, I cannot <laughs> recommend that enough. I don't know if that's my favorite role of his, but it's my favorite thing that he's done. Even though I love Wet Hot, like, Burning Love is exactly what I love, and so I would definitely recommend the three seasons of Burning Love. Like, I love that show. And he's just great. He's great in everything I've seen him in, at least. And then his wife, Cole's mother, who is great in this, is played by Leslie Bibb. Yeah. I know you're a big fan of some of her work, including things like Zookeeper. Of course. One of your favorite films. No kidding. So wh- what do you know her from? So she's got a very, very small part in the MCU. She's also married to Sam Rockwell. And I kind of blew Nico and Kevo's mind when they were doing their run of HTML through the MCU. I was like, you know, like they're married in real life. And she, you know, like, what? Oh, I don't know if crazy. I know her. Like, I'm looking at her movies now, and I don't know that I know her in, like, I just love her comedy kind of in general like she seems to be in that ken marino world right like she's in the yes. the state world the state adjacent world this might be one of my favorite roles of her because even though she's not in the movie a lot the way that she like basically enters the movie being under the crawl space and just the interactions like it all just feels so weird and earnest and genuine and funny like i just love her in this movie i love both of them in this movie yo yo how could you not mention that she was in the skulls <laughs> Because I've seen the movie one time, and <laughs> it's not burned into my brain. Uh, but, yo, she's in the skulls. Yo. Uh, oh, wait, she was in the league. I remember that. She was also in Burning Love. She's in six episodes of Burning Love, because, like, it's the same. Okay, cool. Right? So. Gotcha, gotcha. And she, I thought she was amazing in this film. Like, just low-key, the parents are one of my favorite parts of this whole movie. And they're not even in it that much, but just, I love their dynamic. The, like, most apathetic hand job you'll ever see. <laughs> <laughs> like why get a hotel just to do that like it just feels like so like they just gotta get out of the house i know that but like she's on her ipad he's like whatever and just yeah it's just it's it's great i wanted to mention uh emily allen lind who's like plays the neighbor girl what's her name melanie melanie yeah i mean names what do they matter right. anyway she's been in a bunch of stuff lately too uh she was in 
Dr. Sleep. Yes. Mm-hmm. I saw her that recently. I don't know, but it's amazing what she looks like now compared to then and for <laughs> five years. <laughs> she played she played Keanu's daughter in a movie called Replicas, which was very, very bad. Oh, And she played cool. young Paz de la Huerta in Enter the Void. Yeah, I was looking at her on Letterboxd last night, and I'm like, who is she in Enter the Void? And I was like, young Paz de la Huerta? Like, I don't, I don't see that at all, but I mean, hey, go for it, man. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, so I, I thought she was great in this, too. Anyone else that we didn't mention? I don't Let's see. think so. I don't remember anybody else really of note. Oh, I don't, know what his, I don't know the actor's name, but, like, her dad in this movie is, like, such a stereotypical, just, like, douche dad. <laughs> and, like, it's so over the top, but I think so funny, of just, like, how much he loves his car and just how much of an asshole he is and just, like, how phallic everything he does is. I love it. So he's in the duff as well. And I'm like, what the hell? But I realize that McGee is the lead producer of the Duff. Oh, so okay. Sense. So yeah, they're in the McGeevers. Okay, okay, okay. Yes, it's the McGeevers. <laughs> Wasn't like he rumored to possibly directing a Fast and Furious movie at one point? I would imagine so. I mean, he's in that like big time blockbustery expensive make things look good and cool world. So I would imagine so. I could have sworn, yeah, like I read that once, but who knows? Oh, what's that guy's name? Ron Funches? Yeah. He plays... He, he plays that, uh, what is he, like, a nurse at the beginning? <laughs> Wait, is that him in this movie? Oh, it is him. Wow, okay, yeah. I even, I was wearing, this week, I have a Ron Funches t-shirt that my friend made, because my friend didn't used to do merch for Ron Funches, so I have a oh, really? Ron Funches wow. t-shirt I was wearing this week, and I didn't even recognize him in the movie. Yeah, that's him, yeah. Our good friend Kyle Reinfried of Foodie Films is a big Ron Funches guy. That's why I recognized him. I think we've gone through almost everyone in this entire yeah. cast, so if we, if we miss someone... Apologies. There was that kid who gets sacrificed first, whatever. Oh, I do want to say that the bully, the kid bully, is wonderful. Oh, I yeah. don't know who he is or what else he's been in. He's great. But he, again, like, what I like about this movie, and I think that's kind of an inversion, is that, like, the bullies in this movie are, like, fat kids. And maybe they're not the school's bullies, but they're not the the, ter- the typical high school bullies. He names his bike, like, a girl's name. Like, all these, like, little weird character quirks <laughs> of, you know, how, like, it, again, at the end, like, he almost sides with Cole and then just slams an egg on his head. It's not the type of dynamic you normally see, but I love it. And that kid, I don't know who he is. I'm going to look at I'm going to see if I can find him now. But, like, he was so good. Oh, man. Yeah, no, he was great. And you're absolutely right. Like, in another movie, these would look like the kids that were picked on. But here, no, they're the bullies. Miles J. Harvey. It looks like he's only been in three movies. This is the only one I've ever seen. So Hollywood, book him. Seriously. All right, so... You know, we, we went through all the scholarship here. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about this film, your favorite moments and favorite scenes. But just want to say that despite how this podcast has started, this movie starts off really fast. It's not like a slow build credits thing. It's like suddenly we're in it. Well, it starts off fast, but also slow because we see like they're having a conversation, Cole and his friend, and like the world around them is going slow. And I don't know why. I don't know what the purpose of that is, but it happens a few times. Like when they're on the bus, everybody's in slow motion except for them. Maybe it's showing their connection. I don't know. But it's like this very stylized thing that I think works really well. It's just like it's jarring in a way. And I don't know why. I can't interpret why it's done the way it is, but I appreciate it. Yeah, because if you think about it, it's not a fast moving film. Like we don't know what's going on till a little bit later. So it's not fast in that sense. It's just like, like you said, it's a jarring beginning. I wanted to look up where this high school was because I swear I've seen this high school in so many other, I guess technically a middle school, but you know what I mean. I've seen this school in so many other films and I don't know, couldn't find it. Damn. I'll do a deeper dive at some point. But yeah, so I guess what did you think of this? 
I'll say the beginning before we realize cult things are happening here. What do you think of like this first non-cult act? Well, I love Samara Weaving's appearance. Her first on-screen appearance is when she comes in to kick the bully's asses to Peach's boys want to <laughs> be her. Like, sorry, I was. Oh my god, he's so weird. So what if I did? Jeremy, check it out. You so much as think about Cole again? And I'm gonna... You crazy bitch. Now get out of here! Before I run you over, you little pap smear. So you... It's such a badass, cool thing. Like, the whole point of the movie, I think, to a certain extent, is, like, the hot babysitter is more than you think she is, right? But, like, not in, like, a good way, like, in a, oh, she's an occult way, right? But Ken Marino is talking to him, talking to Cole later in the movie, and he's like, do kids make fun of you for still having a babysitter? And he's like, yeah, but then they see her and they're jealous, right? So, like, the movie (laughs) knows that, like, she is the hot babysitter. They have the obligatory, like, bikini shot. Like, they don't dwell on it, but they have it for the posters and for whatever, right? Like, they, they have it in the movie on purpose. But I think that, like, from the very beginning, you're like, oh, she's a woman who, like, can handle her shit and knows how to like have the upper hand in the situation knows how to control shit and like even before you know that she is a cultist like you know a devil worshiper or whatever you know that she's going to be able to manipulate people manipulate things and, and like you think maybe it's going to be a home invasion thing like if you don't know what it's about like even there's gonna be like a babysitter you know it's a horror movie like maybe she's got to defend them i don't know but then whatever it is you you don't fear that she can handle it because like she's so confident and so like the way she's introduced is just so cool it really is look i knew it was a horror film if you can't look at the poster and not realize it's that but if you just pulled Joey Lewandowski and not saw a trailer and just you know went, yeah, into I don't a think film, I knew. I don't think I knew this was a cult movie the first time I saw it. Because like even when I when I watch a thing on Netflix, like I'm not reading the summary on Netflix before I watch it. Like I already know. Oh, I know what is there to read like this movie? <laughs> no, but again, like the font has blood on it, right? Yeah, I mean, I, so, I knew it was a horror movie. I just didn't know like the the twist of it. If you didn't like know though. And I knew, but I was still drawn in by her magnetism. And I don't mean sexual magnetism. I didn't feel like Cole was, like, grossly obsessed with her or anything like that, which is nice, you know? It didn't feel perverted. She's just so damn cool. She comes to his rescue. She tells him to kick people in the dick, you know? Like, she's rough around the edges, but she's so nice to him. And I know eventually we learn that maybe this is just part of her strategy to, like, lure him in. And get him to do that shot or whatever. But it is so nice to see, like, what appears to be just, like, an innocent friendship forming. She's, like, the best babysitter ever. You see so many babysitters in these movies who just don't want to be there, you know? Maybe they're on the phone with their boyfriend. Maybe they're doing something else. Like, she genuinely makes him feel like an important person, even though he's a kind of bullied kid. And, again, I I know it. there was ulterior motives here or there. But I loved seeing this. It was really cool. This movie reminded me a lot of another movie that we covered, another horror babysitter movie that we covered on this podcast, Better Watch Out. And you remember, like, that's kind of a different thing where the kid is actually, like, he's causing the problems, he's causing the chaos, like, spoiler for that movie. But, like, he's got this, like, weird sexualization, fetishization of the babysitter that, like, Cole, I think, wants to, but it's almost like he's too innocent to know what to do with it, right? There's a moment in this movie where it almost seems like they're going to kiss. He doesn't know, he doesn't 
have the the grasp of like what to do. It's kind of the Joker quote in the Dark Knight, like he's just a dog chasing cars. He wouldn't know what to do if he caught one. Like, like he knows that he, like he likes that she's pretty and like he he has a crush on her, but I feel like he's too young and innocent and sweet. And that's the role in the movie, right? Like he is the the blood of the virgin, right? Like not only just literally like the sexually a virgin, but just he hasn't lived life. Like he hasn't done things yet. And I think the sweetness that he has works to the movie's advantage. And I think their dynamic, like, I think the reason this movie works so well and why the twist kind of hurts so bad is because you're like, oh no, they do seem like best friends. Like, how would she betray him like that? Absolutely. And by the way, did we cover Better Watch Out? Because I don't think I've ever seen that movie. Wait, did we not? I don't think so. And oh now I'm looking at it, I'm like, wait a minute. Is this a Christmas high school movie that I've been asking for that you never told me about? I could have sworn that we talked about it. How did we not? Hold on. <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> Yeah, I, well, so I need to confirm that it's a high school movie because, like, the kid is 12. It's a 17-year-old. Oh, this then, the, yeah, the... we'll do that this this Christmas, yeah. I love that movie. <laughs> All right, there we go. I was like, wait a minute, have I really done that episodes where I'm forgetting? I thought we talked, I, oh, I, I, I kind of swore we did. I know that we picked it for the film club that Joe and I run on a film site, but, like, I thought we did it on here, but no, yeah, sign me up for this December, better watch out. Originally called Safe Neighborhood, so, like, I saw this movie at Fantastic Fest, it was called Safe Neighborhood, I loved it talked to the director very briefly afterwards. It's like, hey man, great movie, whatever. And then they changed the name and I tweeted at him, not that he would remember, but I was like, oh, yeah, like this is a way better name. He's like, he's like started laughing about it. He's like, yeah, like it was so obvious, like in front of all of our eyes, like all, you know, because it's a Christmas movie. Like, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, it's, it's great. So we'll do it in December. I thought awesome. we did it. I thought awesome. we did it, man. Okay, guess not. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right though. It's like, oh shit. And that moment, where it literally says, what the fuck, and yeah. stuff like that. And we'll get into that later. It's so much more powerful because she just seemed like a really cool babysitter, honestly. So anything else in this, this uh, first act where, like, again, pre-cult things that you wanted to bring up? Well, what I will say is that I think the movie does a good job of setting a lot of things up for later in the movie. Like, we set up the arrogant neighbor. We set up, like, the arrogant neighbor in his car and, like, just the, the friendship with the girl. We set up the kid Seder relationship. We set up the fact that there's a crawl space with spiders under the house, that there are toys around the house, that there's a knife in the dishwasher. The movie subtly, and maybe not so subtly, but like is in an 85-minute runtime, is doing a lot of work to give you the geography and the landscape of the house, right? Like it's like, here's where things are. In a certain sense, it's kind of like Home Alone. He doesn't take the time to set everything yeah. up to plan it out, but like in a certain regard, it's like, okay, here's the tools he's going to have to defend himself, and here's what's going to pay off in the third act. And I think even if you don't realize what you're watching in the moment, I think the movie is doing a really good job, whether they're going to dupe you in the end or not, of like setting everything up for later. So I think as dumb as you might think the movie can be, not you, but like the proverbial you, I think it's very effective in its storytelling to set all of this up and set it all in motion. I don't mean it didn't feel like 85 minutes in a bad way. I'll put it this way. I think you got your money's worth for 85 minutes for exactly what you're saying. A lot happens in this relatively short runtime. I'm impressed, to be honest with you. But you're right, they make allusions to Home Alone later, too. And, and yeah, I think you need to hit the nail on the head on that. Just a couple things before we start to get into the action yep. here. Another setup thing is that we we do see her with the guy she ends up sacrificing. Mm -hmm. And that's when you're kind of like, something's going on here, because this guy seems like a dork. And she's, yeah, she's way out of his league, exactly. <laughs> I was cracking up when the dad's watching Mad Men. And he's like, oh, you know, it's not that it's like 
sexual or something like that. It's more of that. It's a little dense for you, buddy. So he goes to his room and he, he apparently binge watches Mad Men all through the night, only to say something along the lines of, who cares? Yeah. That's what he says. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> I also love their outdoor movie experience. Like, it just feels like this this movie yeah. appreciates the movie and TV experience in a way. And I was just like, oh, that's very cool. Like, it's the most beautiful, like, you know, fog over the grass. Like, again, like, that's why you hire a music video director, because it's like, oh, this every frame of this looks beautiful. Like, them watching perfectly framed in the back of, like, a barn or the garage or something, right? Like, it's just it's just gorgeous to look at. Yeah, I mean, I, I really liked it. I could have pivoted to another story that wasn't a horror film in the next act, and I would have been fine, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't need everything to be hunky-dory, but, like, I could have pivoted to one of those stories where she gets a boyfriend and the kid's a little bit, like, confused and jealous and he's growing up, you know? Right. <laughs> oh, the other note I had was that I like how multiple times – Protestant and prostitute are confused in this film. <laughs> so I just thought that was funny. <laughs> but I guess let's get into it. Let's talk about, you know, how this film completely blows up. I guess the neighbor, right, is the one she tells him, like, stay up and see what's going on. And he knows he's like, has people over or whatever. And this game is spin the bottle that gets completely out of hand. We get some kissing of everyone. So I didn't know much about this movie, but I do remember people talking about or may- people, maybe just one or two people I knew, talking about, like, Bella Thorne makeout scene here. Yeah. <laughs> Which apparently wasn't in the script, so whatever. All right. <laughs> I do love how the entire cult sold it so well, so that when her turn got around to this kid, the one that she ends up sacrificing, it was so believable to him. Yeah. You know? He was just thinking, I'm having this crazy night with this beautiful woman. I never thought this would happen. Oh, you're dead. Weird. <laughs> Hi. She's so hot. Sam, you got this. Make out with her. I'm sorry. This is kind of weird. I don't even really know you guys. (laughs) You got this, stud. Sam, I I don't even really know you guys. I'm not. I'm I'm, I'm just staring at me. Oh, we're not looking. Hey, it's not weird. Hey, just close your eyes, okay? And they're not even here. You can do this. You got this. Just because I close my eyes doesn't mean that they're not here. Do you trust me? Just relax. It's not weird, okay? We're just having fun. Ready? Ready. Yep. Oh. 
shit leaking. He even like he's like why like well, I don't even know you guys like how why is this happening and then he kind of just gives in and then that's when she like double knife to the head so like I know that you probably knew that like it was gonna be a cult but like did you see that or like that quickly or that suddenly nope. that kind of thing happening there nope I knew something was going to happen here because that guy clearly didn't fit in I didn't think it was gonna be that like two knives to the head or anything like that and I wasn't even ready for it there I thought she was gonna kiss him too you know I thought we were gonna maybe drag this out a little Mm -hmm. bit i wasn't sure i didn't know that everyone was in on it you know i even thought that it was possible that the babysitter herself wasn't in the cult that these were just her friends and someone else there you know i kind of thought that this would descend into the killers in the house kind of movie and we don't know which one of the friends is the killer kind of thing which is not that at all but I, i was curious it got me and then literally the what the fuck on the screen, which I love stylized shit like that. Yep. That's exactly what I was thinking, and that's why it made me laugh. This is a funny movie, too, you know? It is a very funny movie. I think that's why it works so well. Like, if you're on board, is that because it knows what it is, and it knows what it's doing, and it's stylized and done in a way that's like, oh, yeah, like, it's self-aware, right? Like, it, it's a little bit maybe over the top. Like, I guess there's like, a, there's like a range, right? Either I go like way, 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 way all out, which it doesn't do. But I think there's like a, a okay, which goes too far, but like, it's not far enough it's grounded in a reality enough and people behave normally enough that it feels real but it also feels heightened because you're in a horror movie it's like you know that you're in a horror movie but you're still acting rationally he sees this happen and he almost immediately calls 911 right like he's not like fucking around like he's just like oh i know that the cops need to get here now and then he's like calls 911 gets them here and then tries to escape out the window and that's when b shows up right there's so many things that he's doing that it's not like dumb people like run like why are you not doing this like you're seeing crazy things like get out of there he's doing everything right it's just that he passes out because he's got low blood sugar right so I think why this movie works is it doesn't feel like it's cliche. Like, they're making fun of cliches without relying on cliches, in a way. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Okay, you mentioned the cops, right? More shocking than the two knives to that dude's skull was the fucking killing of the cops right away. Because I totally thought, most horror films I've seen, they just lie to the cops, they blame it on the kid, they kind of gaslight a little bit, the cops leave, and it's like, see, we have the power. Nope, those cops die in a shocking way. So they played with like the tropes, and they were like, nope, this is going to the next level fuck you guys kind of thing yeah and fireplace poker as a javelin to the eye it's like that's i've never seen that before no exactly i'd never seen that before either and it's not like you see them slowly grab the fireplace poker it's no no just boom it's right (laughs) it was amazing and yeah and moments like that kind of upped the ante for what we were to expect here it was like no holds barred kind of situation there's cleverness for sure but it's a movie about uh, survival. As we talk about, like, each character's death, essentially, because that's what it becomes, right? Like, it almost becomes like a video game. You gotta pretty much battle each character here or there to survive. Mm -hmm. But as it goes along, I love how we just get... We don't know them that well, but we get little snippets of their personality. Yeah. Who's the first to go again? So the first one to go is John. I don't know that he... I feel like he's the one character who kind of doesn't have, like, a defining characteristic other than, again not to use the overuse the phrase, but like the token black guy in a horror movie, right? Like the first, the guy who dies first or whatever, right? Like he just kind of feels 
out of place. Like it, it almost feels like you need five because like the Breakfast Club is like, oh, you need five people, right? Like there's the five, whatever. But he just runs upstairs, slips, falls, slips on the toy, which was set up earlier, falls, hits his head, then neck through, or like the trophy through the jugular. Like brutal death. They all have brutal deaths, but like that's a brutal death. Yeah. Yeah. And before that, he's got, he twice he gets like the blood splattered in his face. Yep. You know, he's making jokes, but they're, again, this is a character, I'll say it again, that even in 2015 when it was shot, movies still had the token black guy. Yeah. I think you see that a lot less today, thankfully. So I think it's more of a criticism of the time. And I think he feels a little bit weird and useless. He doesn't feel offensive necessarily. I get what they're doing, but I'll say it again. I don't think that's what they focus on today so much because every other character seemed a little bit more clever if that makes sense his satire was maybe topical for 2015 but today kind of something where look we've had movies like get out you know <laughs> like which have completely thrown things on their head so i just don't think it's a character that feels deep today if that makes sense no but it's i also kind of i like, think in a certain regard and i'm not trying to defend this movie or defend the character but like none of these characters other than being cole are deep. Like, they're all resting on cliches, and for better or worse, like, we don't know anything about the jock quarterback other than he's hot, looks good shirtless, and can run fast, right? We don't know anything about Bella Thorne, the cheerleader, other than, like, she's hot, she can, she's concerned about her appearance, and no, she won't get motivated, no, right? Like, it fair. feels like they're doing things for purpose because you don't have the time to characterize anyone. And, like, while I agree, and while I would love to have, you know the Asian character or the black character have more character traits. Like, I feel like they're probably the most underserved. Like, all the white people are kind of better defined. I think that none of them are really very well defined at all in general. No, but you bring up also, uh, almost reversely, a good point that the two weakest after uh, John, it's Sonia. And John and Sonia don't really get the same monologues that Bella Thorne's character gets. The quarterback and the cheerleader get two like kind of moments where they can be silly and describe basically their weirdness like for the quarterback it's that he wants cole to defend himself even though he's trying to kill him you know like he almost takes a time out from killing him so that he could stand up to the bully which is you know which is hilarious and uh bella thorne of course has like oh i'm not pretty kind of moment later i guess Sonya has a little something, but it's not that crazy, you know? And John has almost nothing in regard to that. I guess if I had to make one amendment, I wish all four of them got, like, one, like, two-minute scene where they could just do what those two other characters did. Does that make sense? Yeah, I agree. And I that does make sense, and I agree. I think as they die, as the movie goes on, they die, they each get a little bit longer. She's got more of the, not monologue, again, to your point, but, like, her death under the house where she's like taunting him and like trying to slam, like slam on things with a knife. And like, she's playing around with the spider and she's got the thing. Like, I think her fireworks death under the house is again, we don't see it, but like it's grisly. And I think that her lead up, the build up to that, I think has a little bit more, again, we could have had even more, but I think she is even better served by far than John, just because, you know, She's the next one to go or whatever, right? Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess progressively we learn more and more about each character. Uh, you know, it is interesting, though. I'm, I'm not going to count it against the film because, again, I think these are, like, important tropes for 2015. It's just, again, 
things have changed just a little bit. It didn't disgust me. I'm not saying I watch right. this movie and be like, oh, they have a token black guy. This is so wrong. It wasn't anything like that. It could just be better. Again, yeah. yeah, exactly. It could just be more refined, a little bit sharper. So as we go along, we've kind of touched on some of these deaths. What are you really getting into at this point? What are you really getting into in terms of the chase here and the babysitter? Um, his escapes. Like one of the things I was, I thought was hilarious is him or trying to cut that rope when he's tied up to the chair after uh, he's discovered that he's seen them. Right. They don't know what he's seen. Yes. Because he's like, you're just having an orgy. Like, it's fine or whatever. But then he has the pocket <laughs> he knife well. and he's cutting the rope and Bellathorn's like, dude, like, I can see in the mirror. Like, you're cutting the, you're still cutting the rope. Like, what are you doing? I think that's really funny. Yeah. And then, I guess to backtrack a little, one of the most tense moments of the movie, like, I'm a guy... I would have a ton of tattoos if I wasn't afraid of needles. Maybe I'll get over it. I don't have any tattoos. I'm afraid of needles. That needle scene, which is foreshadowed so well yep. by that first scene where he's just like afraid to get. And I'm like that. I just got blood work done. I was like that. So, <laughs> so the fact that he has to almost face his fears in those moments and just no sell the needle going through him. And she misses when she's trying to get that blood. And he just has to like. Do and he does a good job. He does a great job, but you can see the tension in his face. I felt it in that scene. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, I hated it, but I loved it. I don't know how you do that. Like <laughs> he's just lying there so still, and they're all in there watching him. And like she's like touching his hair, and then takes the needle and puts the needle in twice. And yeah, it's it's a lot, man. To survive, you know, at that point it's survival. You just saw someone get their freaking you know head impaled. <laughs> you just gotta survive. It's insane. But I I am all in on this chase, Bella Thorne. I love her little. When she gets shot in the boob or whatever. She's like, no, no guys are going to want to motorboat me anymore. And then, yeah, jo- that's before John's killed. And he's like, you know, I still like, just, yes. just tell me when. Like, I'll be there or whatever. I guess they're accentuating that, like, she's got fake boobs, I guess, because they keep talking about her deflated boob. Like, I don't know. I don't know. But I think it's very funny that like, she doesn't care that she's, like, basically shot in the heart, essentially, right? But she's just... <laughs> yeah, it's not that. She's yeah. just afraid exactly. that her boobs are going to be lopsided. Like, that's her greatest fear in life, which, again... Very funny. I can see why you might be like, oh my god, but like, also I'm like, no, that's that's funny to me. It's funny because, again, these characters are at 11. That's the point. <laughs> and like, even like, ultimately in her death, like, when she is, like, they're having this close, like, this heart-to-heart moment, it's almost like, like, where Cole's like, no, like, I still think you're beautiful, you're hot, like, you can be whatever you want, like, if you want to be a journalist, you can be a journalist, like, you're smart. And she's like, oh my god, really? And he's like, yeah. She's like, you think I give a shit? Like, who? Like, what? Sacrifice. Get your dreams. because I defended myself. I knew you wanted me this whole time upstairs in your little room just jerking off. You're just sick. You were trying to kill me. I wasn't trying to kill you by punching your dick. Oh, I've never felt so violated before. Oh, God. I only signed up for this dumb shit so I could have my dream job. And instead, what do I have now, huh? This one deflated, ugly boob. Oh, my life is... Basically, over. Oh. Oh. I mean, you're still super hot. What kind of job do you want? I'm a journalist. See, that's perfect. 
because you're super smart and you're hot and really driven. Thank you. I could be wrong, but I don't think it would be hard for you to have a cool life. Lily, you think so? You think maybe we could just walk out of this whole thing and you just call the police and just, you know, forget this ever happened? Yeah. Exactly. Do you think I give a fuck what you're talking about? And then, like, she attacks him and he punches her in the boob. And she's like, wait, wait, dude, like, what do you do? Like, I'm not punching you in the dick. He's like, you can't get mad at me for defending myself. You're trying to kill me. Like, it's a very funny dynamic there that, like, she's so offended about, like, the wrong things. I just, I mean, her character, again, one note cliche. And I don't even know if it's, like, well fleshed out, but I think it's what they do with that type of trope, I think, is very interesting. And, like, I think maybe the portrayal she's bringing to it, I think, works really well. There's so much horror out there, right? But there's also a good amount of horror satire to the point where that's a subgenre in itself. And this is that cool mix of both that you get. Like, there's really scary, scary, like, shit happening here. There's very gory shit happening here. But there's also funny stuff that's self-aware and that's one of them and that's something that being the host of this podcast i get really hyped up about because this is not just a horror character the cheerleader here is a character we see in non-horror films that's a character you see in all genres of high school film so it was great to see that even more so than the quarterback because honestly like he he was great i really loved him not having a shirt i love them questioning not having a shirt but he still like wasn't he didn't have all the quarterback tropes. He was more like hot high school dude rather than yeah. like QB, if that makes sense. Because he's like, you know, I'll give you a head start, like go run away. And he's like, I can't beat you. You're the quarterback. Well, like quarterback's not necessarily the fastest dude on the team. He's like a tall dude who like in high school is generally like the handsome guy. Like, right. Like they, they ascend, like it's a weird yeah. kind of thing where kind of you're generally taller and good. That's just a weird, like you're not necessarily fast. Like it is kind of like this weird blend, like this mishmash pastiche of different kinds of tropes but it works like he literally embodies like the hot guy what you know what i mean so i think it works yeah no i I like that too and again so many i know we're bouncing around but so many things are set up earlier like one of the things that's set up is how they're uh taking apart the treehouse and we get these awesome really cool looking scenes of like a broken down treehouse essentially later uh you know that's just one of them um the firework you already mentioned is so cool. The toys, like the, the remote control cars and stuff, make a callback as well. There's just <laughs> something so awesome about how every little thing is paid off here, yeah. if that makes Even sense. Even Mad Men you know? comes like, back in the end where he like tells B, like, you're Don Draper. She's like, did you ruin Mad Men for me? It's like, well, not really. I mean, that, you, <laughs> you get that like in episode four, but like, even like the things, like everything is set up and paid off. Like it's as kind of dumb of a movie as it is, like by design, it's a very smart movie. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, again, this screenwriter, I wanted to mention his name, but Brian Duffield. Yeah, yeah, he's a, uh, I mean, he, he did a really good job at this. I've movie. seen all four of his movies, which I did not know, but yeah, he did Underwater, that movie that came out this year, like one of the very few movies I saw in theaters this year, that Kristen Stewart, uh, T.J. Miller underwater horror movie. He did a Natalie Portman Western called Jane Got a Gun. Like, he does, like, he's done these very wildly different movies. I mean, The Babysitter is my favorite of the punch, but like, I don't know, I don't know what, like, the common thing is between his movies but yeah he's done a handful of things that have gotten made in pretty big ish or you know this level or bigger so yeah yeah that's awesome i mean good for him and again this is bravo on this one that's for sure any anything else you wanted to mention from like the middle of the film before we get to 
you know, our big ending, if you will. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, look, it's one of these movies you just have to watch. A lot is happening, but it happens fairly quickly. Everyone's got a gruesome death. How does the quarterback die? So he climbs up the treehouse on the rope, and then he, like, falls out and then hangs himself by the noose. Like, the the rope, like, the the tire swing or whatever that is, like, somehow, somehow, becomes a noose around his neck and he gets hanged. Yeah, that was one where I was like, he didn't use Home Alone cunning for this one. This was just pure luck that he survived. Right. Which is fine. Yeah. But, yeah. Now I remember why I wanted to bring it up. It was jarring to see, but it was, yeah, I mean, you know, eventually... It just becomes B and Cole. And these moments are nice because it's paying off how good of a time they had at the beginning and what the hell is happening now. To the point of, you know, eventually he she asks him to join her, you know? And, like, you think for a second, like, that he's going to, and then it's like, oh, wait, no, that this would never work. No, of course not. Of course not. I think it's also reinforced by a scene we had a little bit before this when Cole sees his neighbor slash... I mean, she has a crush on him, obviously. I love how they the, they share a nice little cute kiss, and she's like, maybe we should make out next time, stuff like that, you know? Yeah. They have a really cool thing. I think it's, like, the fact that he's smart, and, like, he realizes, like, the line that he says, like, I'm not the first kid, am I? Like, he, he realizes that she's done mm-hmm. this before, mm-hmm. and that she's basically not, like, seduced another kid, but, like, has led somebody else down this path to, like, ultimately sacrifice them. And I think... Everything he's setting up, like what you're saying about the relationship he has with the neighbor, but also just the fact that he's good under pressure. Like he's afraid of needles, sure, but like he knows to call 911. He knows how to make like the the rope out of blankets to get out of the bedroom. Like, yeah, he knows the police uh, codes. Like he's a nerd, but like he, you know, he realizes like he's not scared in the moment. He's like, oh no, like this has happened before. She's going to kill me. Like at some point, you know, this is this is going to break bad in a way and I'm going to get killed anyway. Like I need to stop this now. Yeah, the fact that he can say that and be like, I'm not the first kind of thing is so strong because it's obvious she's tricked almost everyone else she's not really showing remorse for her supposed friends dying either you know i wonder again how old she actually is if mike mancy was with us today he'd have some kind of alternate theory about the lore that existed before you know before this existed um, because we learned that with that what, what do they call the book i forgot it's it's not spells or something like that what it's like a devil bible basically if you make these sacrifices you get whatever you want and she says something along the lines of like she was like essentially small and quiet and now she's in control of her destiny there's a reading here where she's not even a high schooler oh no she's probably like edward cole and like hundreds of years old right yeah yeah good call good call totally right forever baby that's very possible and you know on a side production note bella thorne was the only teenager of all these of the six or whatever uh, of the main I believe that, know, of yeah. the people who are in the cult, which makes total sense because you'll see her be a teenager in films many years later, you know, but it's one of these things that like, I'm so excited for it because it's, it's a little nugget of what this is all possibly about, but I'm all in, right? Like we don't get a flashback of her as like a meek child, you know, finding this book or anything. We don't need that shit. Like, She's already built her credibility up with me at this point. And 
what ends up happening, right? Like, I know he ends up getting the car. Like, how do we get to there? When they pull up to the house, like, he kind of knows in a way that, so he's got the book, he lights the book on fire, and he knows where there is a car that he can use. And when they pull up to the house at the beginning of the movie, B and Cole, they have a line, they have it back and forth. It's like, oh, there's my treehouse, the roof of my treehouse, like, it's, you know, I'm getting too old for it or whatever. But they show, like, it basically is like a ramp on the sidewalk. And so he knows where to get the car. The car has been set up earlier in the movie. He runs down the street, gets the car, but he, like, throws the book that's on fire in a place near the window where he knows that he can yes, essentially, he again, the book on fire. heightened yeah. reality, but, like, drives the car off the ramp into his house, like, sort of does, like, this, like, kickflip kind of with the car. Like, the car is twisted yeah. as it goes through the window and lands on B. And, again, I don't know if you mentioned it or I mentioned it, but there's an earlier scene with him and Ken Marino, as dad, and he's so nervous about driving yep. driving a car. And it's another thing he has to overcome yeah. just to kind of for this huge action set piece and, you know, ends up pinning uh, B. And I, I love this element here, too, that, you know, she's essentially she's essentially dying. I think We Are the Champions was playing, right? Like, it's like so crazy before before he pins her. And then it, it does that callback to that. Uh, okay, let me let me back up a little. Do you think like her? sympathy here or empathy with him dying is legitimate or do you think like she's still trying to manipulate him at this point i mean i think that the fact that it's a question shows that like they had established the relationship pretty well i think realistically she's trying to manipulate him but i think because their relationship their bond has been set up so well it's like oh it might actually be genuine like one thing that we did not talk about is they have like the intergalactic dream team versus the Mm -hmm. big bad where you can pick any five people from history or maybe six if you have to like to take on like the big villain and like she does her thing and at the end she's like i never asked you yours and like on his team of five it's the two of them. And I'm like, that's so cute. Like, it's adorable. Like, he is so, like, the, the greatest sadness of all, the fact that, like, you know, there's maybe, like, ten dead people in this movie, but the greatest sadness is that, like, he thought this girl, like, he's like, he even says when she, oh, she makes a Godfather reference, right, when they're doing Spin the Bottle, and, like, I knew it was you, Fredo, and he's like, I love her. Like, he's just, like, this is his dream girl, and the greatest sadness of all, in a weird way, is that the woman of his dreams turned out to be a psychopathic cult member, cult leader, whatever, and he has to kill her. And I think, you know, in his heart of hearts, he has, like, these movie hero aspirations that, like, they're going to be a dream team together. It's going to be them and, like, you know, Star Trek characters conquering the world. Yeah, I I thought that was pretty awesome. Do you want to take a quick stab on who would be on your team? I thought about this. I don't have a good answer. (laughs) I I tried to because I knew we were probably talking. I I don't know. Let me think about it. We can maybe maybe do that like as a social media game for this, and I'll have an answer for you for next week. But like, I tried to think about it last night, and I don't have an answer yet. But I do want to have an answer. I just don't have one yet. Yeah, I wasn't sure to be honest with you either. I wanted to have a team, but like, I kept. (sighs) I have too many Star Wars people on mine. You know, I, I'm not big into Star Trek. I don't know enough Star Trek. I might take a stab at it. Who knows? Do you think it has to be all sci-fi people? I don't think, I mean, being Cole or not, I think that's kind of the gist, but I don't think, like, it seems like well, they're, that one's a special they're case battling an alien, right? Like an alien entity. So I think that, like, you could do anybody, but it feels like sci-fi people are maybe more equipped narratively. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I might take a stab at this. Uh, let me see. I don't think my team has enough women on it. Um, you know what? I just added. <laughs> I'm trying to make. I'm also trying to make a diverse team too. I'm thinking too into this. <laughs> okay, here's my team right now. Okay. So 
My leader is from the television show and later movie Serenity, but Firefly, Mal Reynolds. Oh, okay. Captain Mal, yep. Mm -hmm. Captain Mal, okay. So here's, like, just my team, right? I want Han Solo, because he's Han Solo. He's awesome. You're going to have Han and Mal? So Mal is basically, like, a kind of a poor man. I I love Mal more than I love Solo, but, like, feels like they kind of occupy the same space, but okay. Well, that's why I named Mal the leader. Okay. Because I I feel like that would give him a little bit. I know they're going to have tension. This is going to be a team where chemistry is going to be an issue. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Because all these people are like lone wolf type. Okay, okay. Cool. Okay. <laughs> well, not all of them, but okay. So I have another Harrison Ford character, Rick Deckard from uh, Blade of Runner. Of course. Mm-hmm. Here's another Star Wars person, but I love this guy. Any version you want, whether it's the Donald Glover or Billy Dee Williams, but Lando Calrissian. Okay. Totally one of my team. Sure. And this is going to be someone who's going to be hard to keep on the team because she's so single focused. But give me, give me a Linda Hamilton, Sarah Connor. Okay, okay. I definitely want her. And I'm trying to think of a cool like who would be my droid because I would definitely want a droid. I might have to get back to you on that one. But the last member of my team also a wild card. I don't know. I'm hoping Mal can keep it together. But this is definitely a sci-fi film. It's not a space film, but I'm gonna put her on my team. Charlie Theron, Furiosa, I want her on my team. So she was going to be, so I, as you've been doing this, I've been coming up with my team, and she's the anchor of my team. She's the leader of my team. Oh, you know what? I'm going to give you to her because you made her leader, and she's just on my team. She's definitely going to take your contract. Okay. <laughs> oh, I got a, I got a really good one. Okay, okay. So you, gotta, you need a fifth then. <sighs> I'm going to look up Google. Best droids. draft <laughs> a droid here. Whatever, like the like Taika, whatever. Dro- oh, cr- what's the droid in the Mandalorian? He's like a babysitting droid. I want that one. Okay, yeah. Okay, I can see that. <laughs> so here's my team. Based on like the the characteristic of my team, like the the defining trait, the through line of my team, I feels blasphemous that Ripley is not on my team. But I feel like like Ripley kind of has to be. Oh, fuck, I don't know. Ripley's great. I just didn't take her because she was taking on one of these other teams. Okay, that's that's so. a good ex- that's a good because ex- I thought she was because yeah. she's on. Samara, she's on B's team, right? Because it's the Ripley and the Egg, right? Like, just in case? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay, so here's my team. I've got Furiosa as the leader, because of course, right? I've got as the brains of the operation, I got Dr. Louise Banks, Amy Adams' character from Arrival. She's the linguist. She's the scientist. She's the educator. I think in terms of the biology, because you need a smart one, I've got... Lena, Lena, I don't remember how to pronounce it. Lena, I think, the Natalie Portman character from Annihilation. Oh. You need a little bit of muscle. So I got Sergeant Rita Vertasky, Emily Blunt in Edge of Tomorrow. And then nice. when all else fails, when you just need like the most powerful being in the world, kind of a cheat. But I got Captain Marvel, I got Brie Larson. Oh, good call. So good it's call. an all-female team, badass team. But we got like leadership, we got muscle, we got brains, we got linguistics, and we've got Captain Marvel can just like go and just destroy. Like you know, when Thanos is like, "Oh no, we're gonna win," <laughs> and then Captain Marvel shows up, she's like, "Oh hey, hey guys, like you know what's up?" And then you just win, right? So like, I think that's a pretty that's a pretty powerful team. If I was gonna make a switch somewhere, I'd have to see, but I would try to put some sci-fi Jessica Chastain character because I love Jessica Chastain. Oh, you know, I could also see her, like, she might be... I could see her as, like, sort of ground support. You know, like, in Spider-Man, like, Joe and I always talk about, like, we even have a question on Too Fast, Too Forever about, like, are you a racer? Are you a designer? Are you, like, out there helping us? Are you the man in the chair? Because, like, we always reference Ned in Spider-Man, right? Because he's like, you know, I'm the man in the chair. I don't go out in missions, right? And so I think that the Jessica Chastain characters, either from Interstellar uh, or from... 
even though it's not sci-fi, Zero Dark Thirty, I think those are great kind of like in charge, cool, calm, collected, or even Miss Sloan, right? Like just the poker movie. Just yeah, like, like honestly, she just hold shit I love down. Jessica Chastain. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I, I want Jessica Chastain on my team somehow in one of her characters. Like you said, she can hold shit down. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you were able to come up with that. It was an awesome team. Maybe we'll have a side thing one day where like you, me, the Mikester, whoever else you want, we'll just have like a sci-fi kind of draft here because that would be fun i think there's a podcast like a i think called like all fantasy everything where they, they just draft different things and i feel like this is like firmly in that Ooh. wheelhouse it's like oh Ooh, like let's just draft cool. like your ultimate dream team of like sci-fi whatever and like i think the important thing is the balance right like you can't just have like five muscle because like if you have like <laughs> if you have on your team if you have like five alphas like if you have five roman pierces it's like oh this is not gonna fly <laughs> When is that happening? When is Fast and Furious Fantasy Draft happening? Well, I mean, I guess in a sense, like, we already had a public fantasy draft, in a sense, in the Hall of Fame voting, but I don't know. Yeah, Different thing altogether, true. but yeah, it's similar. It's in it's in the ballpark. Because, like, again, not to get really nerdy on this, but, like, you could have, like, a scenario, like, you know, this is what's at stake here. There's a vault in Rio, or, you know, that's Well, we that's did do on a recent happen, episode, but... at the end of lap six, on the Getaway movie, on the Getaway episode, about the Getaway movie with Steve McQueen, Joe and I were like, we came up with our ultimate three-man bank heist, because, like, in that movie, it's Steve McQueen and two other people who were, like, very clearly fuck-ups, and, like, they, things go very awry, we're like, you need more than three people, and Joe was like, no, you don't, you just need three people who, like, actually know what they're doing. I'm like, okay, that, that's fair. But... We talked about, like, the ultimate three-man bank heist, and, like, just Dominic Toretto's on there, because, like, you can't not have Dom Toretto. It's just, like, even though, like, you think bank heist, you don't think Dom Toretto, like, he can't not be. And in your thing, like, if you're having a fantasy, a Fast and Furious fantasy draft, I don't think he can't be the number one pick, because, like, everything's just about him. Like, he's not necessarily the the strongest or the smartest, or the but he's just, like, the all-around overall number one seat like he's got to be right well you would think so right but like maybe like brian will would be the number one pick too for some people depending what the mission is you got to do like clue like you got to mix stuff up somehow and have different scenarios and then you do your draft picks and then the judges would ever determine which of the teams that someone drafted would or maybe you come up with a plan of who does what i don't know i don't know there maybe you guys market it and sell it and become rich off of it who knows but this is exciting like there needs to be more fantasy drafts on the cage club podcast i agree that way that merges your two worlds yeah man also by the way (laughs) side note spoiler alert i'm in first place in my fantasy baseball league after one week so thank you very much nice and there's not that many weeks this year so seven week regular season things are looking up (laughs) all right so basically the only scene we didn't talk about was the ending ending she lives she lives yes (laughs) The parents come. The, they, that's when they run over the bike. I forgot what the bike Cindy? is. Cindy? I think it's Cindy. Cindy, Cindy. You're right. Yeah, Cindy. They run over the bike. They... <laughs> Wait, hold on. Can, I want to talk about the bike Cindy for a second. Because, like, when you first see the bike, it's like, oh, that kid just, like, beat up a girl. Like, maybe his sister's named Cindy. He, like, pulled... He took the bike from a girl named Cindy. And he's just using that bike. But, like, then when you find out that, like, maybe, like, just a bike that he named Cindy, like, the possibilities of what that bike's origin story are are <laughs> fascinating to me. So awesome, so awesome, yeah. <laughs> I was just mentioning quickly the uh, the dad of the, you know, his, I don't know if they're boyfriend and girlfriend. Dad, point, yeah. The neighbor the friend dad. of his, yeah. The dude, how mad he yeah. is about it. Like, that's the real travesty. <laughs> Not the eight people who are dead exactly. in their home or whatever it is. 
<laughs> it's so good. It's so good again. And she survives. She lives. She's not dead. So that leads us to, you know, what they, I don't know if they filmed it yet, but we were supposed to get the babysitter too this year. Yeah, I saw that, like, on IMDb Trivia, it said, like, the entire cast decided to come back, but I'm like, what entire cast is there? Because most of the people are dead. Like, it's Cole and his parents and Samara Weaving? Like, is that it? Like, is that... Because, like, everybody else is No, dead. I, I don't get what it is, but Sonya's back, Max is back, the whole six of them are somehow back. So, pff, who the hell knows? <laughs> I didn't see what's-her-name. I didn't see, like, the, the neighbor he has a crush on back, so... Kind of confused about Interesting. that. Interesting. Maybe she's too big for it. I don't know. Maybe, like, because she made a deal with the devil, she could bring it back them back to life. But why would she? Yeah, but, like, why them? Because right? she's like, I, in our world, which I think we kind of agree on, like, she's done this a bunch. Like, I don't think this group is anything special, right? Like, it's just they're just the hot people in this town. Like, I think, I don't know. I don't know. Unless it's, like, a prequel, but why? You know? <laughs> don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But, Joey, that means... You've Kate Hudson yourself today. You've booked yourself on two other films, and you potentially have booked yourself on a third film if this film ever comes out. Oh, well, I'm also going to book myself on another film when I do the, uh, the buy the rent to get one free, so don't you worry about that. <laughs> so, anything else you want to mention in regards to this film before we get to our awards? There is one of my maybe my favorite line in this movie is when the parents are going off to the hotel. Uh, Ken Marino is, like, upset that he's like, why are you always yelling at me? She's like, I don't yell at you. I just speak in all caps. And I was like, that's <laughs> so, that's very funny. I love that line, yeah. But I think that's it. I mean, there's other things I could say, but like, I think, you know, we covered it. I think the movie looks great, like, stylistically. I think the, the editing, the sound mixing, the color, like, the saturation, like, everything visually and sonically that they could do with this movie to heighten the story, I think they do with this movie to heighten the story. And I think it's just, for what could be, like, a trash, schlocky straight to Netflix B movie, I think is that, but also like kind of a shining example of that. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So let's get to these questions. Yes, please. First, what is an award? Is there a character who you would have liked to seen more of? I think, again, I don't know what to call her, but I think Cole's girlfriend kind of, I think that they, she could have done a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Like it's almost set it that she's going to be there to help him. And then she doesn't, which I'm glad that he's able to do it on his own, but I feel like there's the dynamic of kind of like the ceremonial passing of the torch, like his relationship with B into his relationship with her. I don't know. I would see maybe more of her or maybe more of the parents, even though neither of them kind of have like a real purpose or a place in the story. So I don't know. What about you? It was pretty balanced, but that's who I would pick too. I'd like to see more of her. I'd like to see her having some hijinks somewhere here or there. All right. Long Duck Dong Award, a character whose omission would make the film better. I mean, we talked about the black representation not being great. I mean, is this movie better or less problematic if there's no people of color? I don't know. You know, like, it's it's a weird balance. Like, maybe maybe take him out. Maybe just give him more to do. Maybe make the quarterback black. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what you do, but I think there's something there about even though it's only three or five years old, depending on how you want to think about it, like, there's maybe something there that's a little bit, problematic but again it's making fun of it in that way so it's again it's it's a delicate balance yeah at the very least like maybe not eliminated but certainly fine-tuned in one way or another so definitely agree with that all right cameron fry ward who looked too old to be a high schooler here well so you said right that bella thorne was the only teenager yeah i think like what like i said earlier that i thought that they were in college and he was in high school. So I think they all kind of look a little too old. I don't know if that's by design. I think they're all consistent with one another, though. So I think, like, in that regard, it works. 
I think that, like, if you had to, like, I would say they're all 20, 21, 22. Like, it's not wildly wrong, but I think that if, if they're the high schoolers, I don't know. Like, I would say that, like, they're 14 and 20 as opposed to 12 and 18 or whatever. So, like, I think kind of everyone and no one. Yeah, no, uh, we'll just say, like, the group. It might be by design, but, like, it's interesting, but it also gives us questions, right? Because at, at the very least for our lead here, for uh, B... Like, how old is she? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I agree with you there, too. All right, so Rotten Tomatoes, 72% by critics, 60% by the audience. One of the one of those weird that the audience is less than the critics. But, Joey Lewandowski, you don't care about Rotten Tomatoes. We know this. You're a letterboxed man anyway. But this is High School Slumber Party. Forget letterbox. Forget the tomatoes. A plus to F grade scale. What will you grade? The babysitter. I'm gonna give it a B plus. I think I liked it a little. I, I gave it when I originally logged this, you know, three years ago, whatever. I gave it four and a half stars on box. I bumped it down to four. Maybe it's just because I've seen other things that I've liked more since then. But like, it's not an all timer for me. But I think it's great. I think it's a B plus. I think it's a very good movie. Yeah, that was my grade actually too. B plus. I really enjoyed it. This is the kind of horror film I'm gonna get into because it is totally, totally talking, discussing, and making fun of the high school tropes that I see every week, bi-weekly these days. So, yeah, I was all in when it came to this. And, you know, it was a real pleasure to watch. It did not disappoint. I'm glad. I'm very glad. Now, I was waiting to ask you this question because it's such a visual movie. Mm. What does your The Babysitter sleeping bag look like? I was really struggling with this. I think it's got to be the Netflix poster. I think it's got to be, like, a pink sleeping bag with just Samara Weaving's face on it. Huge. I think that's... Like, in my head, there's a lollipop, because I think it's, like, the sexualization of the babysitter. There's not a lollipop. But I think it's got to be that. Like, (laughs) as many iconic images as there are, to a certain extent in this movie, I think there's nothing more striking than the way that they marketed and sold this movie. So I think the poster on Netflix, the tile, whatever you want to call it, the movie, like the, the actual art, that pink, like her face, like the, the drawing of her face, I think it's got to be something like that, something with that. Yeah, that's great. That would have been my number one choice. But What's your number two? My number two choice? Uh, well, I have a two and a three. Ooh, right. Getting greedy, <laughs> but I'll there's a lot it. of visual here. I don't, this is, these are very obscure things, but I don't know if you remember. There's a shot when they're just like, upside down on the couch yes yeah yeah yeah. and the the cat the couch in their house i guess is like rooster print it's like yellow with rooster print i'll take a sleeping bag <laughs> to look at that. okay and then my third is very similar do you remember like the opening image that like the wallpaper in like that doctor's oh, office yeah. it's, like big band-aids and stethoscopes yep. that's a cool print too that is a cool print. i'm into prints both those prints, you know, again, I would pick the poster, first of all, because I love the coloring. I love how it looks. But those two prints also rocked my I world, think those so two prints I'll also work as, as like, boxer shorts. Like, they're just kind of like, oh, yeah, like, they're like a <laughs> yeah, wallpaper. Yeah. They're couch covers, or they're just boxers. Like, just, like, clothing. It's, or, you know, like, a nice, like, summertime shirt. Like, the kind of shirts that we wore to your to our friend John and Katie's wedding. Just like, oh, yeah, these are these are summer shirts. This, this is my rooster shirt. <laughs> definitely the rooster shirt. I would definitely get yeah, that. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so you kind of teased that you had oh that you came prepared rather than the Mikester, Mike Manzi, who, who's on the show more than anyone and, and rarely comes prepared with a film, though he was last time, so all good. But random recommendations of films, here we go. You and I are in <laughs> this magical, mystical blockbuster uh-huh. with all the choices we could ever choose for our slumber party. We're deciding that we're going to watch The Babysitter despite it being streaming. We're renting it on maybe VHS, who knows. But 
we see that sale. Oof. And it says, rent two movies, get Can one free. Can you we're believe like, it? We're going to have a slumber party. We're going to make the most of this night. What two other movies are we renting, Joey? Well, so it's not one of my two. But I got, I'm got i contractually obligated by myself. Just like you're contractually <laughs> obligated to apparently be on every lap in some regard of Too Fast, Too Forever. Every time we do this, until Very you do true. the movie, i got to say Clueless. I'm not counting it. It's above and beyond, but Clueless is always, like, we're just like, no, I just, I'm, we're not renting Clueless because I'm bringing the DVD, I'm bringing the VHS over, right? I'm just like, hey, we're watching this. Fair. <laughs> I also want to say. At this point, I probably own it in my collection because of the amount of time. Exactly. It's just like, you know, this, this is, it's, it, I legitimately, as a kid, my mom, I made my parents, my mom specifically, because she was staying home with us, like, while my dad worked, like, I made her rent Casper so many times at the at the video store that like I don't know why they didn't buy Casper, but like they had to have spent like, <laughs> they they rented Casper forty or fifty times. Like even back then when VHS were as expensive as they were, like we probably lost money on that endeavor, right? But I guess also maybe like <laughs> if we owned it, I wouldn't want to see it. I don't know. I don't know. Um, the novelty. Yeah, that was also the first episode of Wistful Thinking. I came on to talk about that, and that's when I realized, oh, the movie doesn't have an ending. It's just like, just like, oh, it just ends. Okay, oh, okay. <laughs> Another movie that's not going to count, and I'm, I'm cheating the system here, but I hope you'll allow me, that just because we've already covered it, so I don't think I want to count it because we've already covered it, but like Assassination Nation, the Bella Thorne connection, the hyper-stylized, saturated yeah, sure. connection, I think that that would fit in really well with this movie. So don't rent it. Just go back and listen in the archives. Go listen to the episode that you and I talked about. I'm, I'm down for the it. The two that I'm going to recommend, and there are two episodes that I'm going to book myself on, in addition to apparently The Babysitter 2, if that ever comes out. One I've already mentioned on the show. It's Better Watch Out. It's a Christmas movie. Okay. It is kind of Home alone It is Babysitter. It is wonderful. Like, I just really, really like that movie. I like... I think that there was a stretch, and I think where I confused is that we picked it in the film club. Like, it was the, I also saw it at Fantastic Fest. Like, I saw Enemy Apocalypse at Fantastic Fest. I saw this one there. And Christmas horror goes hand in hand. I think it works really well. So I'm definitely going to say Better Watch Out, originally titled Safe Neighborhood. Uh, but yeah, that's for sure one. And then the other one is not... <sighs> It's kind of like it's not explicitly about high school, but high school plays an ele- like a kind of a key role in it. And at least I think one of the characters is a high schooler, um, the younger brother in one of my all-time favorite movies, The Guest, uh, the Dan Stevens, Micah Monroe movie, The Guest. Uh, her younger mm-hmm. brother is a high schooler, and like Dan Stevens, do you know about The Guest? Have you seen The Guest? I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it. So he's a soldier who, like, just shows up at this family's house one day, and he says that he knew or he was in the platoon with, like, the dead son who, like, he, like, served overseas. Their son died, and he just shows up, and, like, things are kind of weird. And it was written by the guys and directed by the guy who made Your Next and have then since gone on to do the Blair Witch remake, reboot, whatever. Um, but they're great I love both Dan Stevens and Michael Monroe. I love that movie. I love everything about that movie. And it's not quite a high school movie, but, like, it's more of a high school movie than some of the other things that I brought to you, right? So, like, I think if you get to it, maybe it's a summer movie. Not that, not necessarily this summer, but, like, a summer movie where, like, it's not really about high school, but it's about high school, kind of. Like, you know, it, it, could, it could fit. I'm just saying it could fit. So I would say, again, in that hyper-stylized, saturated, like, violent type of movie... The guest fits in nicely, I think, with the babysitter. The guest, good to know. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. So, that that's a good trio right there. Films that I have not seen, so that always cool. helps. And uh, 
And this was an awesome film to talk about. I you know, really enjoyed it. It's Again, it's easy. Most people have Netflix. I'm always shocked when people don't have Netflix. Yeah. Not like being bougie, but like I say, oh, it's on Netflix. Oh, I don't have Netflix. And I'm always like, what? And I'm like, oh, look, I guess that's someone's right. But it's just weird because that's the one you feel like everyone has. Right. Like it's – even if you don't pay for it, like I feel like everybody has a login at some point. You know what I mean? Yes. I just – I don't know. <laughs> like it, it be, it's become a joke because I know that nobody has it. But like every time we cover a movie on Too Fast, Too Forever, it's like, oh, it's on Stars or Showtime. Like I know that people don't actually have those. Like I just have the Verizon package where like I have every movie channel. So like I have access to all those, right? But like – I know that people don't have this, but, like, I assume everyone has Netflix. I assume most people have Prime, and, like, then there's, like, the... T- and we've talked about this, like, what movies do you cover for the show? But, like, it feels like Hulu is pretty popular, Disney Plus is pretty popular, but even those, you're like, I don't know if everybody... Like, if you're like, I don't have Disney Plus, it's like, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, you don't have Netflix. Like, what do you... What? That's always weird. And sometimes, like, I know someone who has, like, Hulu and not Netflix, and I'm like, that's just, like, it's okay. That's your right, but, like... <laughs> Huh, huh, you know? Yeah, my sister and I just have a system where, like, we both, like, we basically subscribe to everything and just share logins, like, have different profiles. And so, like, recently she's like, hey, I feel like it's my turn. I'm going to buy a year of Peacock. I was like, I don't really want, all right. So, like, now I have Peacock. So, like, it's, you know, it's just, it's working. The system is working. Does Peacock cost money? I thought it was, like, So there's three tiers of Peacock. There's the free tier. And then if you want access to the premium content, it's $5 a month. And if you want premium content ad-free, it's $10 a month. So I think she got a, a year for like eighty bucks, so like you basically a third off. But yeah, we have Peacock. You don't have to. Like if you just want to watch, you know, The Office or whatever, whenever The Office eventually gets there, you want to watch Parks and Rec, it's free. But if you want to watch the Peacock originals, whatever they are, Psych, oh, Psych Two see. movie or whatever, I don't know, then you have to pay at least five bucks a month. Good to know. Good to know. A little education on High School Slumber Party today. Of course, always of good. Course. <laughs> well, Joey. Like I always say, this was a pleasure. Good to have you closing our babysitting series as well. It was a good series. It was a fun series. And I wanted to save this movie to the end because I figured it was going to be good. And I think it's a good way to end it with a modern babysitting Is it the most recent baby? I think it probably is, right? The most modern babysitting movie you're doing? Yeah, for sure. For sure, yeah. Very cool. Well, I'm honored to be at the start and the finish. Well, anything you want to plug or mention, obviously, too fast. Uh, I'll be on this lap, as you said. Yeah, you were just on our most recent episode past friday you were on to talk about dude where's my car you'll be on another time contractually obligated apparently later this lap to talk about another movie with us which is very exciting um we're doing two episodes a week just like you tuesdays and fridays uh the aforementioned mike manzi and i are still talking about tom hanks movies hanks of the memories every friday there but yeah we're, we're now doubling up we're gonna blow through the rest of hanks of the memories still releasing one a week scheduled to end in november ish but yeah, a lot of a lot of fun podcasts. I would say the main thing to check out, the thing that's going to be ongoing after Hanks ends, is Too Fast, Too Forever. So check that out. And again, like we said, you're in the most recent episode, so go check that out and go talk about what I can't. I can't believe how long we talked about Dude, Where's My Car for? Like it was a mind-bogglingly long conversation about. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. We weren't even like getting into scenes and stuff. Like when when I looked at the timestamp because I just had like my notes out. I was like, wait a minute, yep. whoa, yeah. <laughs> Not sure how that happens. Well, it happens when you get brunchy that... and then just like, hey, we're going to talk about everything. We're going <laughs> to we're going to take divergent paths. Yeah, but we weren't like, oh, remember that one oh, yeah, scene no, where there? <laughs> Thank God. Um, yeah, no, that was a blast. And thank you so much for having me on that. I just wanted to mention too, because we keep bringing up uh, Mike Manzi, the Mikester, but he was very excited <laughs> that this movie was in the was in the babysitting run and. Uh, 
He's like, are you covering that? I'm like, yeah, Joey's going to be like, oh. he was like, okay, good. As long as someone covers it. So he apparently is a big fan of this movie as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I know he's been excited about a few different things lately, and I wasn't sure where you were going with that, but well. I'm glad that we uh, did one of his favorite movies <laughs> justice. No, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to plug the cool Mike Manson <laughs> projects that are coming up. That's for sure. That, that That's his job. That's not my job. <laughs> well, we'll have him on again. Actually, on my schedule, he'll be on quite a few times in the next couple of weeks. I'll just leave it that way. And I'm sure you'll be on sometime again soon as we plow along through this horrible 2020. But at least it's fun at High School Slumber Party. It's always fun here. Thank you so much, Jim. Thank you, Brian. There's more to cut. <laughs> okay, a couple things. First, of course, I'd like to thank the godfather, Joey Lewandowski, for stopping by and chatting the babysitter. Always a pleasure having him. Something from the babysitter I did want to discuss, though. I know we slightly alluded to it, but I didn't even realize until Joey mentioned it, and I didn't, like, really say much of it on the podcast. I kind of just watched it after, but there is a post-credit scene to this film where we see that B indeed is alive. It's not just speculated. She is alive. Watch the post-credit scene. Other things quickly, listening to that back. The show we're alluding to from Mike Manzi is another show that he will have on the podcast network. He's might have promoted it. I can't remember if he did or didn't, but I can't wait for this show. It's going to be fun. I don't think it has an official title, but it's with Dan Cologne. And let's say it's going to spook you. I hope I hope the first episode is sometime around Halloween because that would be perfect. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Another thing, apologies if you heard my dog bark. He so desperately wants to be the co-host of High School Slumber Party, but no, there's only one host, and it's me, Brian Rodriguez. I have a lot of other cool co-hosts, that's for sure but not any 100% official ones. Not anyone that's here every week, right? But hey, you never know one day, but unfortunately, my dog does not speak English, and he is not eligible for the co-host, the permanent co-host seat, which isn't even on the table as of yet, just to dispel all the rumors out there. I'm glad you got that. So thank you so much for completing your final babysitting assignment of the season. That was about an hour and change. Here's $35. What the hell? Here you go. I hope you were able to buy something you like or save up for college. Maybe not because we didn't have that many babysitting assignments. But but hopefully, hopefully you're able to put some money to your first car. You're going to be driving soon. It's really, really important to buy the car that's going to turn all the heads in the parking lot. And funny I mentioned that because Friday's movie is all about a car. It's called Corvette Summer. It's the car of a lifetime. It took him all year to build it. Now I'm going to drive that thing right up to General Motors' front door. One night to lose it. The whole summer to get it back. MGM presents Corvette Summer. Somebody stole my stingray. The word's out, it's Vegas. You got a Corvette? Starring Mark Hamill, who's back from Star Wars. Oh, yeah! 
and Annie Potts, who's out of this world. You're gonna spend the night. Comprende, amigo? If he knew as much about girls as he does about cars, he wouldn't be so nervous. You love them dead, sailor. Let me see what you got. Sure. And if she knew as much about cars as she does about boys, what do you drink? she wouldn't be so jealous. Motor oil? And if you knew as much as they know about this candy apple metal flake Corvette, you'd be chasing it too. I'm helping you, dope. I'm helping you find your car. You run up against a car thief, be liable to wind up at the bottom of Lake Mead. Keys into fast cars. Why don't you write a letter to the car? Dear car. She's in the black velvet. Beg your pardon? I Wow! Together, they find you? love. You have no right to take me anywhere! Excitement. <laughs> and danger. <laughs> on the trail of a stolen Corvette. Stop this car! Stop it! I'm getting out! Oh, no, you're not! Mark Hamill, Annie Potts. It's the girl. The car. And the time that separates the men from the boys. Corvette Summer. It's a terrific car. A fiberglass romance. And our guest for Friday will be none other than fan favorite Christian Larson. Looking forward to talking with Larson about Corvette Summer, that's for sure. So, let's see what else is on the old agenda. Oh, I didn't do it at the beginning, but I'll do it now. Shout out to our healthcare heroes out there. Still fighting the good fight. Always appreciated. Always. I really mean that. Oh, and one more thing. Life? moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. And remember, guys, High School Slumber Parties bi-weekly, Friday and Monday. Check out us on cageclub.me, wherever you get your podcasts, and check out all the other great shows on cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. So I leave you with a song that was in the credits, a perfect way, I thought, to end our babysitting summer series. The song is by Betty Wright, and it's called, appropriately, The Babysitter. Later, dudes. And don't forget to pack your bathing suit for Friday.
you still here? It's over. Go home. Go.